You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, fabulous, fantastic, fearless, flightless, and featherless fact fanatics. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 64, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your coop of loops and snoops who sometimes talk about poop. Uh, sometimes. 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 All the time. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Super packed show today, um, in addition to our book club later, and our topic of the week, and our pop quiz hotshot, <laughs> and a bunch of stuff. I'm going to squeeze in here a special listener fan shout out. Listeners, Nick and Jessica recently got married and uh, just days ago, Jessica was rushed to the hospital where they found a brain tumor oh. and immediately underwent emergency surgery. Thankfully, it was benign. She's still facing recovery and all this before their honeymoon. Mm. So uh, to Jessica, we're all rooting for you. You go girl. And um, I hope our show helps bring a bit of laughter and learning to your day during your recovery and know that you are surrounded by great company, including your friend Tom, who is the one who wrote in to tell us about your touching story. From our brains to your brains. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. Let's jump into our first trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. This time, it's not the Star Wars trivia card. Yes. I, I was very proud of you guys, by the way. <laughs> I, I greatly enjoyed listening to you guys work your way through Star Wars trivia. Is, is a hut a species? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last week I grabbed the wrong Trivial Pursuit card and actually grabbed a Star Wars, which was a, a train wreck. Blue Wedge for Geography. What country did Indonesia gain independence from in 1949? Chris. Britain? That would be my guess, too. Chris Incorrect. Britain. Oh. Yes, Dana's right. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's, that makes, that's right. That makes sense. Dutch. Mm -hmm. Pink Wedge for Pop Culture. What movie earned 11-year-old Anna Paquin a Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1994? Oh. Dana. The Piano? Yes, yeah. the piano. All right, Yellow Wedge. Who was the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence? Uh, I believe that was John Hancock. Yes. Purple Wedge. The Bloomsday Festival held every June 16th honors a character from what famous book? Oh, that's from Ulysses, yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh. It's coming up. What shape is a half twist that produces a continuous loop with only one side? That is a Mobius strip. Yes, a oh, Mobius strip. Okay. All right, last question. Orange Wedge, what is the common culinary term for the fried thymus gland of a pig? Chris. Um, I mean, is this sweetbreads? Yes. Mmm, uh, fried Thymus glands. glands. The name sounds so delicious. Though. I know. Yes. Oh no, it's yeah. Neither it's sweet nor like, bread. <laughs> Disgust. Classic, like really pleasant euphemism for non-pleasant things. Yeah. No. yeah, it sounds too good. You're like, wait, why is this called sweetbreads? What is it really? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week we'll be talking about. Uh, it's gonna be a fun show. We're gonna talk about mini things. Yeah. Typically, when we say this is our mini episode, we mean it's like two minutes long. Mm -hmm. It is a full-length show, Good Job Brain episode, but we're talking about 
mini, smaller, tiny versions of things. So here we go. This week, honey, I shrunk the podcast. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. forward to uh to, to this segment of collins where he's going to actually show us all of his star wars figures one by one <laughs> oh no let's instead start off with a story that was in the news uh, a few months ago uh, here's the headline uh, from the new york daily news jfk workers busted in theft of 100,000 tiny liquor bottles oh really oh, yeah from well, airplanes i guess it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, they really are kind of conducive to theft. They're so tiny yeah. and they're fairly valuable. It's uh, if you uh, if you dig into the article and you uh, you actually read a little bit more, it becomes clear that it was it was really a hundred thousand items, uh, a lot of duty free items, is what the workers. It was actually a conspiracy between some airport workers and some workers on the delivery services, mm. and they were basically just lightening some of the loads of a lot of you know perfume and cigarettes as well. But the the tiny liquor bottles, I think, I agree with the editors uh the new york daily news it's more makes, sensational. it makes for better copy and yeah. uh they did in fact find one one of the gentlemen uh one of the bandits at his house 500 garbage bags full <laughs> of the tiny liquor bottles <laughs> yeah so it's not just you know like just like shoving a couple in your pockets oh, here and no, there no. this was a coordinated theft i mean it was wow. seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of stolen goods what were they gonna do with it were they just gonna drink it i fence it i'm like, guessing i would imagine yeah yeah just you can't really a secondary sell market for it well, no, these, these guys did not somebody yeah. to sell it to yeah. and yeah that wasn't really the goal to speculate on how we can make money stealing tiny liquor bottles <laughs> um, but i am interested in the tiny liquor bottles and i'm sure i'm like a lot of other people where i first got fascinated with the tiny little liquor bottles because my dad had a collection of them. But yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid, like being on flights, like, it's like, oh, hey, mom, you know, have you ordered this one yet? You know, like I just, I had this <laughs> oh, subconscious yeah. desire to see the collection grow, even yeah. though I couldn't contribute to it. Right. <laughs> She's like, are you trying to get me drunk? <laughs> so, yes, I'm sure it looked so suspicious at the time. You know, if you encounter these tiny liquor bottles, like these days, it, it, it's overwhelmingly going to be in one of two places. You're, you're on an airplane or the hotel mini bars, yep. you know, it's yeah. a big place. The bottles, like they, they they really started off their history. I mean, this isn't any crazy, complicated, weird history. They started off as samples. You know, most of the liquor companies would oh. make smaller versions in various sizes as samples to give away, either, oh, okay, to, either sure. to, the, as, to the distributors or, you know, giveaways to frequent customers. It wasn't anything crazy about it, but they, they found an amazing life on airplanes. I mean, mm -hmm. I think all of us, even to this day, you know, it's funny that you said, well, aren't they complimentary? And it, it's hard to remember now, in the early days, they really were complimentary, like all the way down into coach, even for a lot of airlines with well, with the full fare of your ticket. Yeah, flying you, on an airplane was very expensive and it was, I mean, people wore suits to, to fly an airplane. You know, very quickly, you can see, like, if you're serving drinks, Whoa. especially something that's on a drop-for-drop -drop basis more expensive than soda, yeah. it's going to be cumbersome pouring out of a, you know, a giant bottle of Chivas or something on, a, on an airplane. Right. So the, the little tiny bottles make sense for so many reasons. Like, it's they save weight, they save space, there's no waste, and you can price them individually. It's like, here mm. you go, throw it at the customer, you're not 
pouring a shot of liquor. Nobody and... gonna, nobody's going to get into an argument with the flight attendant that she's not pouring enough liquor into right, their glass right. at 30,000 feet. It, yeah. ju- it just makes sense. Yeah. As airlines started cutting costs, this was one of the first and easiest things to cut as well. Free liquor is easy to cut costs to free liquor and coach, and then it kind of worked its way. Yeah. And so what, what tickles me is, you know, doing some of the research on these, is now the, the alcohol beverage uh, industries have kind of come full circle again now, and they've really rediscovered the value of them as straight out samples, you know, especially because so many of the brands are diversifying. Oh, yeah. Are diversifying. Different flavors. Yeah, you've got cherry bourbon and honey whiskey and, you know, peach vodkas and all kinds of crazy flavors. And it's a good way of, you know, well, I know the brand. Sure, maybe I'll try their crazy flavor for 99 cents or a yep. dollar for yeah. a couple ounces. And it's a, it's a good way for them to market on wary consumers, perhaps. Of course, there's also some more nefarious uses for these bottles. They're easy to sneak into places where you maybe are not supposed to have movie uh, theaters, alcohol. sporting events, movie Concerts. theaters, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, bar mitzvahs. Yeah. <laughs> but really, what cracked me up the most in my looking into just the awesome history of liquor minis is the crazy relationship that South Carolina used to have with mini liquor bottles. And this just opened my mind to some crazy avenues of how liquor laws in this country have evolved over the years. So you know, there were a lot of after prohibition, after the end of prohibition, you know, as you guys know, we've talked about before, a lot of states had various uh, blue laws to certain extents limiting alcohol. You know, a lot of times it was you can't buy liquor on Sundays was very common, you know, and these were mostly states in the South, uh, Utah as well. South Carolina had some of the weirdest requirements I've ever heard from 1933 when prohibition ended up until 1973, you weren't allowed to sell liquor, like meaning hard liquor in South Carolina by the drink. So if you wanted to drink whiskey, vodka, whatever it is, at a bar, you would bring your own liquor to the bar, huh. and they would supply the mix-ins and all the supplementary um, stuff. BYOB. It yeah. was BYOL. Right, exactly. B-Y-O-B. Yeah, you would BYOB to the bar. They would mix it up for you. They would supply the ambiance and the environment. Wow. Sure. But they couldn't pour you drinks of liquor. Uh, in the 70s, people uh, started getting worried about over-drinking, drinking and driving. There yeah. were still a lot of religious overtones, people who just didn't approve of drinking for whatever reason. So the South Carolina voters passed a law that, okay, you can serve alcohol- liquor by the drink in bars, but it has to be in pre-measured, oh. predetermined amounts that are capped at a fixed amount. Okay. So we know, quote, people aren't drinking too much. Huh. So South Carolina in 1973 then started started serving liquor in bars, but it had to be by the mini. So if you were to go drinking in South Carolina, you would have tons and tons and tons of little tiny mini liquor bottles. Huh. And it sounds crazy to order, you know, a whiskey at a bar and the bartender opens up a little tiny airplane sized <laughs> bottle. Yeah. But that's literally what was going on in wow. South Carolina. The, the average mini is about 1.7 ounces, 50 milliliters. Is that like a shot? Well, that was, that was equivalent to one drink, one mm-hmm. shot. That's right. And what's funny is that the law was proposed as a way of moderating alcohol income and Mm. intake, rather, but it very quickly became the case that in any other state that had self-pouring, the average shot was about an ounce, 1.2 ounces, Mm -hmm. whereas South Carolina, you were fixed at that 1.7 ounce. And if you got a double, that was two 1.7s. So South Carolina quickly became known for having some of the strongest drinks in the nation because it was (laughs) fixed at this sort of the upper limit of a large size shot. It was not until 2000. (laughs) Uh, This law was on the books until 
until the end of 2005. Holy cow. So it's just been, you know, not even 10 years that you can go into a bar in South Carolina and get a drink poured, you know, normally compared to uh, many other bars. And then, of course, there's the question of, well, now are the drinks less strong in South Carolina than they used to be? And I would say, yes, that depends bar to bar. That probably depends place to place where you go. So South Carolina. Wait, so this whole time from the 70s. Until 2005. They were. 70s until 2005. Serving mini bottles. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Liquor in South Carolina in a public venue was always poured into these little tiny bottles. And it just sounds comical. There are reports of people who are like, yeah, my whole time in college there, you know, my whole whole professional career there. So you go to a bar, behind the bartender, there's like big bottles, beautiful bottles of alcohol that you can point and say... But they're just little bottles. Well, you know, right. You would say, For show. <laughs> right, right. I don't think they would keep the whole inventory up on the shelves behind them. Voter-approved law until 2000. Wow. It seems wasteful to use so many bottles. Well, you know, it's funny. That was a big push, actually. That was a big part of it. Like, one of the things was like, you know, look, it's 2005. Not only is this silly, but these are just clogging up the landfills. Mm-hmm. And some of the lawmakers arguing, like, they, they would bring pictures and things. It's like, look how many of these tiny little bottles these bars are throwing out every night. This is just outrageous. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a quiz themed around the subject of things being smaller than usual. It's called Tiniest Tunes. Ah. Oh. And as you may know, there is something of a trend in uh, in, in cartoons uh, to produce a cartoon spinoff of something <laughs> um, where the characters are aged down. Yes. yes. Baby versions. Famously, or... of course, Muppet Babies, which actually is is credited with kicking off the trend. Yeah, that was um, the earliest one I could think of. Huh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so beginning with Muppet Babies, we actually saw a whole lot of cartoons uh, have uh, versions in which the characters were uh, were aged down, and so I'm going to name some so uh, cute. some cartoon, mostly uh, animated cartoon franchises, uh, definitely some movies, um, maybe mm-hmm. some comic books and things like that, and I will tell you the uh, the version in which they are older, then you tell me the version in which they are younger. Okay. All right. Oh, let me first ask this question. Uh, the show Muppet Babies was actually based on a scene in what feature film? Oh. Huh. I would assume a Muppets movie. It is. Yeah. Do you want to guess which Muppet movie? I'll just... Muppets Take Manhattan. It is, yeah. Oh, wow. So there's, a scene, there's a scene in Muppets Take Manhattan in which uh, Miss Piggy imagines what it would have been like had she grown up knowing Kermit and ah. they showed him all his babies. All right. Scooby-Doo. What is the name oh. of the show in which Scooby-Doo is younger? Uh, yeah, yeah, man. So I know he has the, the small sidekick. That is Scrappy-Doo, oh, that yeah, Scrappy but that is a separate character. Yeah, this is baby Scooby-Doo. Indeed. Scooby-Babies. All right. Man, I cannot remember. Puppy-Doo. Uh, you know, close. <laughs> it is actually a pup named Scooby-Doo. Oh, <laughs> See? Yep. That. See? Yes. You do remember okay. it. All right. A pup named um, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Indiana Jones. Oh, Karen. The Adventures of Young Indiana yes. Jones. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's right. Yeah. The Flintstones. Oh, I didn't know that was... Again, a... it's all it's all some yeah. variation on this yeah. Young Indiana Jones or Muppet Babies, but it's like, what specific variation? The Flintstones. Oh, gosh. In college? You might think of the, the theme song of the Flintstones vitamins for the answer to this one. Oh, Flintstone Kids. Yes. Uh, the Flintstones uh, Kids. Yeah, Flintstones. Now, this also introduces, as with the Muppet Babies, continuity errors because mm. these characters were not supposed to have actually known each other as children. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Right. So, yeah. Looney Tunes. Karen. Uh, Tiny Tunes. You have fallen Adventures. into the trap. <laughs> you fell right into the trap that yeah, Dana actually anticipated before this began. I could see it in the look on her face. I was like, wait a minute. Those aren't actually Bugs Bunny. You are absolutely oh, correct. It's... In Tiny Tune Adventures, the, the original 
original characters like Bugs Bunny, etc., are all in there. They're same age. Mm. It, it just revolves around the younger kids that they teach at Acme University. Uh, so. That is my- so, however, there is a show in which Bugs Bunny et al. are younger. Do you know what that is? Mm. Looney Babies. <laughs> it's called Baby Looney Tunes. So imaginative. Um, Tom and Jerry. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that one. I think hmm. I do, because they had big heads. Uh, it's how you know yeah, they're kids, like yeah. chibi style. Similar, similar. Feet. Little Tom Actually. and little Jerry. No. <laughs> tiny, Tom Jerry tiny. Kids. Tom and Jerry kids. Tom and Jerry kids. That's it. Uh, <laughs> the X Men. Oh well. Well, um, actually, mm. <laughs> well, the, there's the high school version. The X Kids. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, specific stories that are actually in the X Men comics. Occasionally, no. there is actually a X uh, uh, Babies. No. Oh, that's right. Really? They're really disturbing. Right. Because, yeah, there's there's like baby Cyclops, and it's like, he's in his his same uniform, his grown-up uniform, as we just shrunk him down to like toddler size. Yeah. I mean, comical toddler. They're they're really weird. I have seen those. Ex-babies. Cyborg Beast Boy et al. Karen. Teen Titans. Teen Titans, yes. I didn't mention Robin, because that would make it too Yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, Yogi Bear. What was the name of the cartoon that featured Yogi Bear and his pal aged down? I'm going to guess like Yellowstone or Jellystone Playground or Jellystone Kids or something. That would be good, but no. Yogi Bears. No. No, Yogi Bear Jr. No, No, the name of the show was Yo Yogi. Oh, Oh, no. Also, and and finally, this is a show uh, in which the characters started out young and they were aged up. Uh, So I'll give you the name of the show in which they were aged up and you tell me the show in which they were young. The name of the show in which the characters were 11 and 12 years old was All Grown Up. Oh, Rugrats. Yes. Oh. Yes, indeed. And that is the tiny cartoon quiz. Nice. Nice. That's good. I cannot not talk about food. And I I came across this term. I want to refer back to a previous episode. I believe, Chris, you talked about the Cadbury cream egg. I did. And how throughout the years, people were kind of like, Hmm, did these shrink? They right, seem right. a little bit lighter. And but Cadbury's like, no, you're just an adult now, you know, for some kid. <laughs> no. And then finally they realized uh, they Someone announced blew that the lid off the off the scandal. The size is smaller, but mm. only by a little bit. So over the years, companies have been downsizing their products in a sneaky way for for a while. I'm not talking about companies introducing like a smaller size or a smaller version mm. of an item and and call it like oh here's the smaller version the fun size yeah the fun size is it's not that because that's on purpose here is a smaller item mm. for you this is sneaky kind of you know making something lighter or making something less voluminous and then passing it off as its original version or its original self there is a term for this it's called grocery shrink ray. And this was Whoa. first coined and used in um, the consumerist would document and notice and have people write mm. in. Here are a few examples of products that have shrunk. Bounty from 60 towels to 52 towels. Oh. Just eight towels difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Purina dog food, 20 pounds to 18 pounds. Sure. Glad trash bags, 96 bags to 80 bags. Mm. Skippy peanut butter, 18 ounce to 16.2 ounce. Mm-hmm. And not to put too fine a point on it, but the 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 outrage is that the prices don't always go down with a commensurate yes. amount. Right. Well, the whole the whole point of it is that they don't want to raise their prices 
So the only way to cut costs is to lessen the amount that you get. The issue here is that a lot of these products still have the same price tag. Right. And this, of course, angers or, or annoys a lot of consumers. You know, the principle of, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm paying more dollar per volume unit. And here's a sneaky thing, too. Um, Tropicana Orange Juice, they went down in fluid ounce to seven fluid ounce. But they do, a lot of products do things to kind of disguise it or mask it. So Tropicana uh, introduced the easy pour lid. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's a new design. Oh, right. So hopefully people won't notice that in the fluid ounce, it's gone down a little bit. <laughs> there are a couple of reasons why this happens. Obviously, number one, profit, right? They don't want to raise the price right. of an item. Yeah. Um, so they decrease the amount. There might be a portion demand, and we see this with a lot of um, snack foods like the 100-calorie packs or mm -hmm. um, even the cream egg going down. Like People are very, very conscious of calorie numbers, so right. if you give them a round number like 100, people are probably more attracted to just the easy 100-calorie right. item. If you can mm -hmm. knock your item down from 310 calories to, to 290, yep. know, now it's like you went down 100 calories. Yeah, yogurt has been an interesting example because it, back in the day, yogurt was probably maybe a 140 and it went down to 120 and now yeah. they're around a hundred um, and then now they're down to 80 yeah and they're like oh yogurt's so healthy it's like no they're giving you less yogurt right mm -hmm. yeah well i think we've also talked on the show before specifically with regards to coca-cola that they sell a lot more of the hundred calorie cans than they ever did when they marketed them as the you know eight ounce or so seven, seven and a half ounce yep. cans yep. right yep it's it's a easier unit for people to understand or health conscious consumers mm. to understand um, another reason is to make up I mean like like profit it might not just be oh you know we want to make more money a lot of the things may be um, a, a cause and effect so for Skippy peanut butter and actually Peter Pan peanut butter so peanut had a rise in cost. And so to mm -hmm. offset that, they downsized uh, their peanut butter volume and, and still charge people the same amount as mm. they did. And so and it's funny because obviously a lot of these consumers have written in to companies complaining about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And some of the excuses are really funny. Um, one notable potato chip company, their spokesperson said that uh, they needed to reduce the amount of chips per bag because the chips were going stale in the bag design. <laughs> if the company line is, we're reducing it for your own good, they're probably yes. lying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they also introduce, sometimes it, the packaging is exactly the same. They just have to change a little small print, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes the packaging is different. And some of the packaging, especially with shampoos or hy hygiene products, they, it looks bigger. Right. Even oh, though yeah. the volume is smaller. Right, yeah. right. Curvier bottles to look like there's more volume, mm. but really there's there's less. Obviously, if companies are reintroducing package and a new size, you have to factor in a lot of the manufacturing costs too, right? They have a new production. If you're putting less yogurt, then you have to recalibrate machines or have a new those, package. Those easy open like cans don't design themselves. So there you go. The grocery shrink ray. Next mm -hmm. time you go to the supermarket, you might notice that maybe your ice cream is a little bit lighter or your Cadbury cream egg is a little bit smaller. They might try to tell you you're crazy. <laughs> and and maybe you are. <laughs> it's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So for our episode on um, little things and, and miniatures, I'm going to talk about the smallest type of dogs. Yay! <laughs> they fall under the category of toy dogs. I'm <laughs> so excited. They also fall under the couch. They fall under the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> They're also called companion dogs by um, some kennel clubs. And there, were, there was kind of a push to change the name of toy dogs to companion dogs because ah. they want to frame it as these are – these dogs are your friends. They're not toys. Oh, oh got it. wait. Yeah. So is toy dog like no longer PC? No. Like oh. that was the term I always heard. They were going to try to change the name. They tried to change it to companion dogs, but people were like, I still like toy dogs. Oh, so they okay. didn't change it. Oh. But I thought that was an interesting thing that came up there. Um, people's lap dogs, their hunting dogs, their convenient pets. They're, most toy dogs actually fall under those categories, either being hunting dogs or companion dogs. And so I'm going to give you the names of toy dogs. And you tell me whether you think they're a companion dog or a hunting mm. dog. Okay. Oh, okay. And for some of them, I have interesting stories. I think interesting stories about <laughs> what they're up to. Okay, one finger for companion. How about two for companion because they're together? Two things. Oh, together. yeah. Okay. One one fingers are friends. <laughs> yeah. And then a gun. Hey, <laughs> that'll get you suspended from school these days. Yeah, right? seriously. So here we go. You ready? The first toy yeah. dog, Chihuahua. Is it a companion dog or a hunting dog? What would it hunt? I mean, I think uh, that's going to be the question for any of these, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Colin and Chris say hunting, hunting dogs. Karen says companion dog. It was raised as a companion dog. Yeah. Yes. There, there's some stories about it hunting rats, but they didn't actually use it for that. There's mm. some dogs where they actually specifically were used bred it to, mm. to hunt. How about the Australian Silky Terrier? Everybody says a hunting dog. Yes, it hunts rats and snakes. It was bred to hunt. Wow. Rats. Most I think most terriers are for for rat or pests. Oh, see, I was going the other direction. I was going to say most things from Australia are to hunt something. <laughs> That's true. That is true. A Bichon Frise. Oh man! Everybody says companion dog. Yes, it's a companion dog, it's- but it's a companion dog for sailors. People oh. would take it on a boat in old times. Oh, I guess so it's like working. As a friend, well, it's kind of like yeah, you know, like like the Dalmatian, yeah. you know, with yeah. the firehouse. Okay, an English toy terrier. English toy terrier. Okay, Colin says the companion dog. Karen and Chris say a hunting dog. It's a hunting dog. Yes. Mm. So terriers, yes, are mostly hunting dogs. Yeah. I knew they were. I was, I, I was thinking like, oh, maybe it's a toy version of a hunting dog. The Havanese from Havana, Cuba. I have a theory. All right. Whoa. Colin and Chris say companion. Karen says hunting. It is a companion. Oh, darn I'm it. I'm curious what the theory was. I thought like uh, in Cuba or tropical places where they have a sugarcane farm, there might be like sugarcane snakes or some sort of pest and like a, like a dog can go through. And- That's an interesting theory. Mm-hmm. The dog is the cutest thing in the world. Oh. How about pugs? Hmm. I, it's one or the other. There's no. Well, it's, 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 yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I'm, I, well, I'll explain in a second. All right. So Colin and Chris say hunting. Karen says companion. 
It's a hunting. It's a guard dog. Like it, it guarded things, and it kind of maybe it's not such a good hunting dog because it has a really short snout, right? So it probably can't smell. Sniff. That's what. Well, see, dogs. I was thinking that it wasn't like strong enough, like with its jaws, but that maybe it could like hunt out, like I don't know, Bugs yeah, or truffles or something like that. That's why I was being cagey <laughs> about you know truffle pugs. I guess, yeah. <laughs> I think pugs to me like like are the epitome of ugly cute. They have all sorts of health issues. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah, because of their noses. How about Toy Poodle? Oh. So Colin and Karen say hunting. Chris says companion. <laughs> Your eyes. It's a hunting dog. The oh, normal really? poodle. It's a water retriever. If you were hunting in the water stuff, oh, the wow. poodle would go out and get it. Yeah. How about a Pomeranian? Mm. Okay. So Karen and Chris say companion dog. Colin says hunting dog. It's companion dog. Yeah. It was too yeah. cute. Too cute. Like little <laughs> All right, last one. The King Charles Spaniel. Oh, I don't know if I know those. You know them. All right, I'm just going to go with whatever Karen says. King Charles Cavalier. Karen sings confidence. It's it's Charlotte's dog from Sex and the City. Oh. It's like a little Cocker Spaniel. Okay. Everybody says hunting dog. It's a hunting dog. But, so it still has its hunting instincts, but it's very low energy, so it's actually... Oh, okay. So they bred all the hunting into them, but they just like, I don't want to do it. Good job, you guys. All right, let's take a break, and we're going to jump into our Brainiacs book club segment where we share our favorite book picks from Audible, um, our favorite books dealing with you know trivia and facts and, and interesting histories. And, and So my pick, I love Disney and Disney Parks. Yeah. And so one of the interesting books I, I read and actually listened to as an audio book is called The Dark Side of Disney. Here's a little disclaimer. It is not... For kids, it is definitely, there is some adult materials there. Um, I'm intrigued. Yes, it's a how to have fun in Disney as an adult. Oh, okay. So and not sanctioned by the Disney Corporation. No, not at all. Um, there is a lot of tricks and scams or things that maybe you can do, <laughs> but there's also a lot of stories and tales of people trying to uh, scam their way in and get kicked out. You know, I shared the story about um, someone who snuck in to take pictures of abandoned uh, parks and and structures Mm -hmm. and so a a lot of different weird eccentric things that you can do to have fun in disney that's not necessarily family friendly Hmm. it's from a blog so the way it's written as i'm reading it it's not perfect reading material but it does make for a good audio book Mm. because it's more you know how people would describe things you know orally and casually uh versus even when you're reading it's a little bit hard to read but definitely very interesting and uh very intriguing. Hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Uh, Dark Side of Disney by Leonard Kinsey. All right. Well, one of my picks for our Audible Book Club is uh, one of my favorite books uh, in print going way back is Fast Food Nation. Oh, yeah. By Eric Schlosser. It's everything just behind the world of fast food. I mean, particularly in America. And it there's a lot of dark sides to fast food culture and corporations, as you can imagine. But even if you don't actually like fast food. It's just an amazing uh, story of technology and science and demographics and corporate history, just everything about how the food is made, how it's put together, how the companies copy each other and try and outdo each other. It is very American. When you think it's of a fast distinctly food, American iconic. industry. And it really, yeah, yeah. So that is on Audible as well. Okay. My Audible book is um, Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls. <laughs> It's the latest David Sedaris book. And he writes autobiographical stories. And he's really into weird stuff. 
I think would strike a chord with any of us <laughs> and possibly some of our listeners. So one of the things I learned was that you are not allowed to have taxidermied owls or birds of prey in America. And in France, huh. you can't in France either. And he said he found like albino um, peacocks and all sorts of other, he's really into taxidermy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that comes up. And then it made me look it up, look up um, the thing about the owls. So like, even if you find an owl by the side of the road and you want to get it stuffed, you're not allowed to. You have to get rid of it. Only museums and schools are allowed. <laughs> and it's funny. It's a funny book. So a little while ago, I read a book called The Billionaire's Vinegar, which I think that, that our listeners would really enjoy. It is a, it is a nonfiction book. It is, a, it is about <laughs> super, super high-end uh, wine. Basically, it starts off uh, at an auction at which a bottle of wine, uh, purportedly from the 1700s and purportedly from the Whoa! collection of Mr. Thomas Jefferson, was auctioned. You know, still this still-sealed bottle of wine. From this auction... No, Karen, wine doesn't go bad. Well, I mean, it's it, 200 it, years old. Sometimes wine goes bad, but if properly stored, okay. it doesn't go bad. But still. Unless something goes wrong. It talks about the, the super, super high-end wine world from, you know, super high-end wine auctions to the type of people who spend $10,000 on a bottle of wine and drink it. And right. then we just meet all of these various characters and people researching these bottles of Chateau Lafitte that was supposedly owned by Jefferson, trying to research Jefferson and researching the winery itself. And like, mm -hmm. you know, could it be possible that he really owned these bottles? And then what gets introduced into the story is the possibility that the bottles were faked, you know? And oh. so like, how do you tell all of that kind of stuff? It is, it is a, it's a thriller. I mean, it's really a thing. It's also a hits your buttons, Chris. Oh, totally. Yeah, like <laughs> Appraising like, things. Yeah. Appra yeah. Oh no. It, it, yeah. Oh, in that case too, it totally does. You know, appraising <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't mean drinking. I didn't mean drinking. I mean, both. I mean, I mean, I mean, collectibles, collectibles yeah. and drinking and brilliantly written. And so it really, it hits all those things and I would really heartily recommend it. The billionaire's vinegar. The billionaire's vinegar. Yeah. <gasps> Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, welcome back to Good Job Brain. And this week we're talking about all things mini, small, and tiny. Well, you know, a lot of mini things, despite how they're marketed, aren't as fun as the full size. They insist on calling the fun size candy bars at Halloween. And it's like, well, they're smaller. I'll grant you that. But I'd much rather have a full size candy bar than a fun size candy bar. But there's one thing for me that I absolutely, hands down, prefer the miniature version to the full size, which is miniature golf. Yeah! Like, I go and play, you know, full size big boy golf, and I'm not very good at it. I try not to let that bother me. But I 
I love miniature me golf. Me too. I, only, I just play miniature golf. That's real golf for me. Uh, surprisingly, there's very little skills transfer between the two. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You don't encounter a lot of 70-foot-tall windmills <laughs> yes. out on the course of real <laughs> golf. <laughs> if real big boy golf had, like, a giant sphinx and a clown whose mouth opens, mm-hmm. like... That sized up and scaled up, I would totally oh, watch. Yeah. yeah, I would do that. Yeah. I, would, I would play that game. That's yeah. the only reason I play. So, where did it come from, Colin? By all accounts, this is a American phenomenon of just the modern miniature golf course. Originally, they had like small putting courses in Scotland. They did, you yeah. know. Then they did. There, there is, and I should say, there, there is, in fact, a tradition of smaller, kind of obstacle-based courses. Yes, it was kind of sort of the inspiration was hybridizing some of the little obstacles and gates and pathways, yeah. and there. there there were. There was even some uh, commercial version uh, called Golfstacle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As uh, as far back as the turn of the century. Doc got back as a golfstacle. <laughs> How are you holding your club? <laughs> um, I actually. So I had heard that these the the very very early ones were aimed at women because um, the societal convention said you you know yeah. women shouldn't be raising their golf clubs any higher than yeah. their shoulder oh, basically. Yeah. yeah. So you know you do a little putting course for them so they can not that's right either either for genteel reasons or for practical reasons if they may not be able to and they're tightly fitted right. yeah it yeah possible but no that's right there were in you know some that were marketed mm-hmm. or, or not marketed some were designed with women in mind things right. like that mm-hmm. um but, but there were no there were no chomping gators there's a man named james barber uh in uh, he lived in north carolina in uh in the early 1900s and a lot of people credit him with sort of the first wacky elaborate course he he created a course now the only reason i would say that he's not sort of the the modern father of miniature golf is that this was one thing it was it was it was on his estate essentially he had enough room on his you know private estate okay and it was kind of invitation only like if he liked you or wanted to show off this thing or he was having a garden party or a you know a newspaper reporter happened to be there it really took uh until the 1920s for a man named garnet carter who made this a thing and made it an American runaway phenomenon. So uh, Garnet Carter, he had uh, built a resort in Tennessee called Fairyland, and it was a themed resort, you know, sort of spiritually similar to like a Disneyland. Theme park. In that, it was, yeah, marketed more as a vacation resort destination as opposed to an outright day trip kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that he built in Fairyland was uh, an attraction that he originally called Dwarf Golf. Um, oh. It quickly became known as Miniature Golf. I think it's just, yeah. it's a better better name anyway. Yeah. Uh, he built it as an addition into Fairyland and it, and it had mechanical contraptions. Oh. It was fun and weird and kooky and bright colors and here's what's interesting, though, is that he designed it for kids. This was an, like, oh, this is a thing for children to play. And it was sure. really elaborate. <laughs> and he very quickly noticed there are a lot, a lot of adults playing this yes. thing yeah. to the point of crowding kids out. And they're better at it than the kids are, so well, they can move yeah. through it faster. This- so from this one original course on his Fairyland Resort in Tennessee, he, he christened the industry. He started the business as Tom Thumb Golf, which was, you know, oh, again, pretty kid. good marketing, right? So this is how popular this was. So he set up a, a, a company in a factory that produced a lot of the equipment that you need to set up the course. So it was very much like a turnkey operation. Oh, so you could franchise it yeah. and build it out very so easily. Smart. It was very smart. And credit does actually need to go here very quickly to a man named Thomas Fairbairn, whose claim to the world of miniature golf was he came up with the artificial turf that yeah. would simulate grass right. so in like, all of the earliest courses. You don't have to plant grass anywhere. 
right. And this was before AstroTurf came along. So let me just give you a sense of scale here. So uh, 1927, the first one uh, in Fairyland. By 1930, three years later, Garnet Carter had started 25,000 courses across the nation. It was it was a, a boom. It, it was, was a fat. boom. It yeah. was absolutely a and all franchised out. Well, you know, he had a lot to do with them. The franchise model was a little different in the 20s than it oh. is now. But certainly, he was not running 25,000 of them himself. That's right. But he would supply them and sell the equipment. And they were predominantly in the South, but they were all over. I mean, they you know 25,000 wow. in three yeah. years. At, at one point in New York City, there were uh, it was like a, there were reported to be 150 miniature golf courses in New York City. City? That's right. They were on the tops That's of right. buildings. I'm glad oh, you mentioned rooftop that. Rooftop miniature yep. golf was a That's huge funny. thing, and this is one of those yep. awesome localized things. Exactly, and yep. this was really sort of a, a, a separate from the root of Garnet Carter or any of these other people that we talked about. Yeah, so that's the proud, uh, predominantly American history of miniature golf. Wow. And now I want to go play. But we need to find the yeah. wacky ones right. with King Kong and a banana. Oh, yeah. And so today I have a tradition with my friends of whenever we uh, go to Las Vegas, we will go play miniature golf for money. You know, skins style. <laughs> Do you guys know what skins style golf is? Naked. <laughs> it's not like shirts versus skins. You call it skins like uh, you put money up for each hole. Right. So when we go play, we'll play miniature golf. So we each chip in a dollar per hole. Whoever wins the hole wins that pot. Yeah. And if there's a tie, it rolls over to the next hole. I imagine if we had a good job brain mini golf course, there would be one where it's like, a giant butt of a beaver. And you <laughs> right. Get oh, the golf ball into the his butthole. The <laughs> you get it in the butthole and then the it's gone forever. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about two minis. One is the mini car and the other one is the mini skirt. And they are related to each other. Hmm. Huh. Yes. So first I'll talk about the mini car. So it started in England or it was made by the British Motor Company. The Mini Cooper. I'm talking about the Mini Cooper. Okay. But when it first came out, it wasn't owned by Cooper. It was the Mini, and it was owned by the British Motor Company. Mm. It was under production uh, by the BMC from 1959 until 2000, and then BMW got the rights to it and right. then started distributing it. It was really fuel efficient, which was super important because of the Suez Crisis, the 1956 Suez Crisis, where Britain and the French and Israelis had kind of a Diplomatic, military... <laughs> Dust up. Kerfuffle. I like that. <laughs> there was a petrol rationing going on in the UK. Oh, how very British of you. So so my the, lorry with petrol. <laughs> so uh, the British, the big British cars were going out of style, and the little German bubble cars were rising, were booming, because they were way more fuel efficient. The British motor company did not like that German cars were becoming... Mm, the thing that don't step. <laughs> they wanted to compete, so they came up with a little car that could fit in a 10 by 4 by 4 box. They, I mean, I just want to jump in and say, like, if you're just thinking, like, this is an earlier version of the, the modern minis you see today. No, these these are small. They are way smaller than the current oh, minis. Oh, really? They are tiny. tiny. If you see, yeah, I've like seen one in person. smaller than a Volkswagen Beetle, basically? They are smaller than a Beetle. They, they're closer to, okay. like, those smart cars than they are oh, to wow. a Beetle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit. Rock stars and famous people were driving them. Everybody mm. loved them. They were British and they were fuel efficient. Mm. So they were really the car of the 60s. Very mod. Yeah. Like yeah. you think of like mod squad. Um, kind yeah. Of, yeah. So how is it related to the miniskirt? Go on. 
miniskirts were also a British invention of the early 60s. And, you know, people had worn short skirts before in the ancient times. Like, it's not it's not new that people were wearing thigh-bearing, you mm-hmm. know, outfits, both men and women. But the miniskirt became this fashion craze in Britain. This woman named Mary Quant is a, a designer, and she's known for inventing the miniskirt. And she named it. And she named it the Mini after the car. Oh, because it's so popular. Yeah, she it was her favorite kind of car, so she named the skirt after huh. the car. That's right. My skirt is to regular skirts, so what the Mini is to regular cars. That's a good bit that of branding. Is good. Yeah. That is- that's a really good trivia question. I bet one day that's going to come up. Our podcast is nearing the end, and I have a last quiz segment. And this is about shrinking and miniature stuff, so uh, get your buzzers ready. I want to preface this with the actual science of shrinking. We see in a lot of sci-fi stuff and in mm-hmm. literature about shrink ray guns and pew, pew, pew. And, you know, you turn small or superheroes doing that. Not to burst your bubble, but it's impossible. No. It, it, is, it is impossible. Shrinking what? actually doesn't make sense because uh, unless you have to miniaturize the, the atoms. Right. You can't too. miniaturize yeah. an atom. The mass has to go somewhere otherwise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And um, Isaac Asimov actually had a really good analogy kind of illustrating the difficulty of it is if you shrink a dude down, a tiny brain in a tiny man would be the size of an insect composed <laughs> of like... Stupid. <laughs> stupidest person. He would be a stupid person yeah. because you can't shrink the atoms and right. it, it can, only can take as much space. So, you know, you'd be smart as an ant. Not to say the ants are dumb, but, you know, what I mean. The other thing I always remember reading, like, with regard to, like, you know, Gulliver's Travels was, like, if you were a tiny, small, you know, Lilliputian, let's say, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't actually be able to exist in our world because things like the surface tension of water don't scale down to your size. Mm -hmm. Like, you could drown in, like, a few drops of water because it would cling to you. You wouldn't be able to control fire because you can't build a tiny little fire fire like that. Fire burns at the rate fire burns. (laughs) Things, Things are in the world around us don't scale with you. Oh, okay. So here I have a quiz about famous movies mm. about shrinking. Get your buzzers ready, and this is our last quiz segment. What family movie featured the extremely iconic Cheerios scene? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Correct. Oh. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What character got miniaturized in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Full name. Chris. Mike TV. By what invention for a bonus point? Oh, that is um, it, it, Wonka Vision. Yes, yeah. Wonka Vision. Mm, yes. The television yeah. chocolate uh, camera. All right. What are the three items that Alice in Alice in Wonderland used to make her body grow smaller? Name three <laughs> items. Oh. Um, there was a, a potion that she drank. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, yeah. There was a mushroom that, ding, she ding, 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 ding. that she could become smaller and <laughs> i don't know Ooh. oh uh it, it was a cake right or yeah. a piece of cake a pastry something no the cake made her grow bigger yeah. oh. it was oh. a, it was a fan a little fan that she oh she fan. fanned herself until she that's right what zany 80s sci-fi film was produced by steven spielberg and starred meg ryan oh Inner space. Correct. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid was the right. yeah. Yes. Yes. Technically, what was the and, space uh, referring the, the, to? The inner part of the body of Martin Short. Correct. Yes. 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 This, this was played on HBO every day. <laughs> All right. What Studio Ghibli Japanese animated film was based on an English children novel called 
the borrowers. Oh, this is the secret world of Arietti. Yes, yes, about tiny people who lived in the walls and floors of uh, normal humans. Yep. Yeah, very good. Excellent film. Yeah. Great score. If you guys love film scores like I do. Mm. All right. <laughs> Lilliputian yeah. is another word for describing something tiny in size. Where did the word first appear in? <laughs> Dana. Gulliver's Travels. Yes. Uh, Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. That's right. I actually never thought of that. The little people making fire. It's like, yeah. it's not like a mini fire. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Fire. You, you didn't scale a bubble of physics around with you. <laughs> right. Good job, you guys. That is the end of our show, all about mini things. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening. Hope you learn a lot about tiny liquor, tiny golf, tiny dogs, tiny tunes. And you can find us on iTunes on Stitcher and on SoundCloud and of course our website goodjobbrain.com and check out our sponsor audible.com and we'll see you guys next week bye at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.